This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's free, 100% free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. It couldn't be easier. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, what's up everybody? Chris Trapasso here from cbssports.com and you are listening to the Prospect Podcast. Today is Friday, September 4th. We are one day away from the cutdown day in the NFL when all teams have to get down to a 53-man roster at 4 p.m. We've already gotten some veterans being released a day before the deadline throughout the day today on Friday and tomorrow morning all the way up to that 4 p.m. deadline. We're going to see a lot more, handful of them, uh, just letting these players know a day before they really are not going to be on the team anymore. Biggest news this morning on this front, Adrian Peterson, the Washington Redskins running back, future Hall of Famer, cut this morning by the team. It's kind of a surprise because of the name recognition, I guess. Uh, I don't think it's as big of a surprise as the Jaguars cutting Leonard Fournette a few days ago. Um, But Adrian Peterson, at his age, the last two seasons in Washington, has actually played pretty well. If you look at his statistics, he's been a pretty efficient back. When they signed him, it was kind of like, what are they doing? He, He doesn't have any more juice left. And he actually, on some teams that didn't have great offensive lines, has fared pretty well. But... With the new coaching staff in Washington, led by Ron Rivera, and most namely within his coaching staff, Scott Turner, Norv Turner's son, who's the offensive coordinator in Washington, was just in Carolina, was integral in the explosion that we saw from Christian McCaffrey last season. Not just as a runner, but mostly as a receiver. He's going to prioritize these young, explosive players that are receiving threats. And in this podcast, it's perfect because it gives me an opportunity to talk about Antonio Gibson, who only had 33 carries uh, at Memphis. They used him late in the season last year as a running back, was a wide receiver his first couple seasons with the Tigers. Super explosive. I actually had him because by the time the draft rolled around, it was kind of known that he was going to be used or drafted as a running back in the NFL. But I only had him as my 13th running back in the 2020 draft because I just watching his film and the limited amount of carries he received, you could tell reading blocks, knowing where to just simply run with the football was kind of difficult for him. It was a challenge because he just hadn't done it. But I think at six foot, 
almost 230 pounds with 439 speed. He's incredibly explosive. And to be that compact and that fast is very rare for any running back. And the fact that Scott Turner wants to use his running backs out of the backfield or maybe even in the slot where Antonio Gibson out wide uh, played a lot of his career early at Memphis, that bodes well for him from a fantasy perspective, from just production in this Washington offense. And the last part of it, after watching all of Dwayne Haskins' plays last year, for that young quarterback series article that I did, uh, or grades series that I did last year at CBSSports.com, I saw Dwayne Haskins chucking the football down a lot. And that actually was a good thing, that there were times where he took a lot of sacks, was under pressure, didn't know where to go with the football, and those were his worst games. The times where, I'm not going to say he was methodically moving the Redskins or the Washington's offense down the field, but when, he, when there was some semblance of competence from that offense, it was when Dwayne Haskins maybe would look to his first read, begin to panic, and then check it down. So to be able to have someone with that size and speed profile like Antonio Gibson and even Bryce Love, the team's fourth-round pick two years ago, uh, in that backfield, it really projects to, and there's really Terry McLaurin, Stephen Sims, Trey Quinn, there's not, after McLaurin, there's not a established number two wide receiver. I think this really could be a coming out party early on for a running back in Antonio Gibson that before November of last year, was you would have never considered him a running back. He was just down the field, yards after the catch wide receiver at Memphis. And I think Mike Norvell, quick aside, who's the Florida State head coach now, has done an amazing job at Memphis getting ahead of the curve at the running back position. Tony Pollard kind of did everything a few years ago. Uh, runner, receiver, jet sweeps, handoffs, uh, wildcat quarterback stuff. Then there was Antonio Gibson. And then next year, and I talked about him on a previous podcast, uh, and maybe I already mentioned this. I know I tweeted it. Kenny Gainwell is that next player. That they lined him up in the slot, and they were throwing him slot fades. They were having him run wide receiver routes. You could tell that they had been practicing it and really were not afraid to throw him the football. Great hands. Antonio Gibson certainly has good hands as a former wide receiver. That's all the buzz, uh, and rightfully so. But I'm really interested beyond him, and he's going to be the probably the most fun to watch or just to monitor throughout the season. What does Bryce Love do? That coming back from multiple ACL injuries, I remember watching him in 2017, my first year as an NFL draft analyst at CBS Sports, that 27-2018 college football season, Bryce Love was really good. He was outstanding. And to to follow Christian McCaffrey at Stanford, to see how many big plays he hit, how many tackles he bounced off every single game against defenses that were crowding the box, and then the, he stays, and then the next year... Uh, it was just a total abomination on that Cardinal offense. Way more nine-man boxes, ten-man boxes at times. The offensive line couldn't block as well. The quarterback play wasn't as good. Then he gets kind of injured late in the season and goes later in the draft. There was a lot of talk of Bryce Love being maybe a back end of the first-round selection if he would have entered the 2018 draft class. 
So he has speed. He seems very fast. He's a little smaller, but compact, great vision, tons of experience running between the tackles, has enough juice to bounce it outside and hit big plays and awesome contact balance as well. I don't know if he's like super agile, like jump cuts, lateral agility, but his cuts are efficient. He sees a hole, puts his foot in the ground, plants, and is mostly falling for or moving forward as a running back. I hope that he's fully healthy because he was a joy to watch before all the injuries hit and all the, you know, everything kind of was a perfect storm of, of badness at Stanford in his final season there. So Antonio Gibson, Bryce Love, I would probably draft both of them. I drafted Antonio Gibson in most of my fantasy leagues. I don't think if you're drafting this week before the start of the NFL season, I don't think it would be a bad idea to pick up Bryce Love in one of the last few rounds in your fantasy draft. Uh, Switching over from the draft side of things, just quick news yesterday on the contract front. Colts center Ryan Kelly was signed to a contract extension yesterday by the Indianapolis Colts. It's the latest in GM uh, Chris Ballard's philosophy of just building this brick wall of an offensive line. And I think if you look over the course of history and even over the last decade in the NFL and it's gotten extremely pass-happy in this league, the teams and the GMs that are successful are the ones that place a very important priority. One of the top priorities are or is the offensive line being solid. Yes, quarterback matters more than anything, but it doesn't really matter if you can't block for that quarterback. And actually, Chris Ballard inherited Ryan Kelly. He was the team's first-round pick in 2016. Ballard became the GM in 2017. And I think from watching the film that Ryan Kelly has a legitimate argument to be the best center in the league. I think Rodney Hudson is probably still that guy. Jason Kelsey, those two are more widely known. And it's funny, the last two years when Ryan Kelly has been healthy, he got injured early in his career and didn't really have the best start in Indianapolis as a first-round pick. Playing next to Quentin Nelson, Ryan Kelly is completely overshadowed, and he's probably going to be. But diving into the details of his contract, I don't even know like what the full amount was. I don't really care about that. If you listen to this podcast, follow me on Twitter, read any of my stuff on CBSSports.com. I, I, complete, I always say consistently, fully guaranteed money is all that I really care about because that's the money that teams have to pay these players. Didn't see anything on what is fully guaranteed at signing, but total guarantees That means money down the road in, say, 2023 or 2024 that is guaranteed right now for injury, or it could be a team option that becomes guaranteed if the team picks it up, $34.5 million, which is around $6 or $7 million higher than the previous high in that financial category at the center position. Weston Richburg, the 49ers center, who I think is a good player and does a good job in that Kyle Shanahan zone blocking scheme. He's a great athlete for the position. I remember scouting him at Colorado State and he really got after it in, in the run game. I don't think he's as good of a player as a run blocker and a pass protector. 
as Ryan Kelly. He's only 27 years old, and again, after some injuries early in his career and some wobbly play to start his career as a pro, last season he was fantastic. Chris Ballard, I really like what he did even after having Ryan Kelly and having Anthony Costanzo, a bunch of first-rounders. He drafts Quentin Nelson in that 2018 draft class uh, inside the top 10, and everyone was kind of like, oh, man, a guard that early? I, I'm fine with it. I, I think with how many penetrating defensive tackles there are and how they are one step away from being right in the quarterback's lap, you need to have good interior blockers. You really need to just have a good offensive line. Makes a lot of sense for them to lock him up and really to set the market by a considerable margin. It's well-deserved money for a player that, again, started as not the best uh, track in terms of living up to first-round status, and now he's become the player that the Colts thought they were getting when they drafted Ryan Kelly in the first round in 2016. Um, Other news... And again, we're going to get a lot of veteran cuts over the next couple days. Uh, last night, I thought it was funny reading a tweet from ESPN's Diana Rossini that the Saints are going all in to try to. They're scrambling. I think Mike uh, Mike Garofolo of NFL Network tweeted this too, going all in to try to sign Jadavian Clowney. And we've seen. A lot of reports that with the lower salary cap next season of only $175 million instead of like $215 million because of coronavirus, the Saints are like $78 million over next year's salary cap at this point projected to be. And they're just like, hey, we're going to try to sign Jadavian Clowney. We're a week away from the season. He would have really gotten no time in practice with our team, learning our scheme, learning what to do. We're just going to say, let's clear the books even more, push it further down the road. We still have Drew Brees. He's 40 years old. We have Cam Jordan. We have Marcus Davenport. We have Sheldon Rankins. We have Malcolm Brown, all first-rounders on the defensive line. Why not bring in Jadavian Clowney, too? I I don't think it's necessary. Uh, I wrote an article a few weeks ago that I think Marcus Davenport is primed for a huge breakout season in year three with the Saints, just the slow ascension that he's made in his first two seasons. And similar to Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, Marcus Davenport's overshadowed by Cameron Jordan, who's long been one of the most complete defensive ends in the league on a pretty good defense. I don't think it's necessary to bring in another outside rusher, and I always thought that Clowney was overrated. Not considerably, but... The first-round pick, the big recruit, the hit against Michigan, ascended him in terms of his reputation into this ridiculous level where he's not that type of player. Outstanding run defender, pretty good pass rusher. At times great, at times below average or right at average. And most of the time, good. So I don't know if it's necessary. And I think, again, the Saints are going all in, as they probably should with Drew Brees at his age. They should. And they brought in Emmanuel Sanders. They have a lot of young, talented pieces in that secondary. Uh, Marcus Williams, the safety, I really like his game. Of course, Marshawn Lattimore, the cornerback out of Ohio State, the first-round pick a few years ago. And Chauncey Gardner-Johnson from Florida, they picked him last season. He had an outstanding rookie year as kind of that new-age 
slot defender, strong safety, free safety, outside corner, linebacker, really did everything, was a great blitzer, good against the run, showed that he can cover any type of weapon that you put out wide or in the slot, and he can play man zone, he can hold up uh, in a lot of different alignments. So I actually just picked the Saints to win the Super Bowl uh, for our CBS Sports staff predictions that will come out, I believe, next week. I know they were due for me uh, next Monday, but I sent them in last night. I had some time to fill those out. Just because I still believe, even with everything the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have done, that it's the most complete roster in the NFL. That I think we've kind of thought that for a while, maybe since Michael Thomas uh, has really emerged, which basically happened right away once he entered the NFL. But there was always like... They don't have a secondary receiver. Is it going to be Jared Cook? Is it going to be Traquan Smith? To bring in Emmanuel Sanders, who, yes, he's in his early 30s, but he's looked like someone that has not lost a step and is still very quick and can win at all three levels of the field, I think is huge. And I think we haven't talked about that enough. I picked him up in a few fantasy drafts late. Yes, Michael Thomas is going to get a ton of targets, ton of production. Is he going to set the receiving or the, the reception mark, again, that he just broke last year? Probably not. It it's, it's, would be ridiculous that to assume he's going to break his own record again on a team that has Emmanuel Sanders now. And everything with Alvin Kamara is seemingly going to end with him getting a contract with the Saints or at least playing out uh, the final year of his rookie deal this year with the Saints so I don't think it's necessary, but with Jeff Ireland and Mickey Loomis, the two guys in charge there from the personnel perspective in New Orleans, it's not surprising because they've pushed, they've kicked the can down the road for a long time with Drew Brees' contract, uh, with Cam Jordan, everything that they've needed to do to try to get to another Super Bowl and win another Super Bowl. Uh, they've had a lot of misfortune in the playoffs the last couple of years. They just laid a an egg against the Minnesota Vikings at home in last year's playoff, but we all know what happened in the few years before that. Uh, so I, I think this is the time that the Saints don't necessarily have to sign Clowney, but that they should be going all in. And it'll just be hilarious to see the explosion on Twitter if they do sign Jadavian Clowney. The Titans are rumored to be a team that uh, is in the Clowney sweepstakes as well. Or to give my kind of two cents on him. One last piece of uh, news that came out this morning, and this was a bad take for me. We're starting this season, or before this season, we're getting the bad takes out. Dari Agumbawale was cut by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And just yesterday, I tweeted that after Leonard Fournette's signing and LaShawn McCoy, everything with Ronald Jones and the history that Bruce Arians has, saying he loves certain running backs and they're the starters and then it's just a mismatch throughout the season. I was like, I, I think this small scat back who's a great receiver out of the backfield is going to ultimately be the second most valuable, maybe not fantasy, just valuable in general, wide or running back on this Buccaneers roster because of Tom Brady's propensity to check it down, use running backs out of the backfield, get those mismatches against linebackers and safeties and corners when it's all said and done, and then the Buccaneers caught him today. There's a chance they could bring him back after week one. Salary wouldn't be guaranteed, I don't believe, or maybe that just applies to veterans, actually, or 
vested veterans, and Dari Agumbawale entered the league in 2018. He's probably going to get picked up by another team because he has flashed a little bit as that third down back. But, yeah, that was not necessarily anything based on uh, having any inside information on what the Buccaneers plan to do. I don't think anyone outside of Bruce Arians really knows what's going to happen. They now have four running backs in their backfield, in their running back room, LaShawn McCoy, Ronald Jones, Leonard Fournette, and, oh, third-round pick of four months ago, Keyshawn Vaughn out of Vanderbilt. I talked about him, I believe, in a previous podcast. 2018 film was outstanding, I thought. I think right after the 2019 draft, I had Keyshawn Vaughn close to the first round. That's how impressed I was with his size, squattiness, uh, contact balance, how compact he was, and then his speed down the field. That bowl game two years ago for Vanderbilt, he was outstanding. Last year, I know they lost Kyle uh, Shermer, Pat Shermer's son, at the quarterback position. The line wasn't as good. But I saw like a sluggish back that wasn't very agile, that went down on first contact a bunch. They fed him the ball a lot. I didn't see a third-round pick. Uh, that's where the Bucks picked him. It'll just be interesting to see throughout the season with Leonard Fournette, LaShawn McCoy, and Ronald Jones where the rookie third-round pick ultimately lands in the pecking order in terms of getting carries and getting touches in Tampa Bay. All right, that'll do it for me today and for this weekend. I'll be back on Monday with a new prospect podcast, giving some thoughts on everything that happened over cut down or cut down weekend, cut down day in the NFL as we will be in the week that will have NFL football featured in it. Amazing. Thank you for listening. This is the Prospect Podcast. I'm Chris Trapasso.